Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. Hey, Mia Hull with you on FBI Radio 94.5, streaming online or on the podcast. This is Out of the Box. It's the place where each week I sit down with one guest to talk through the stories and songs that have defined their life. Today, my guest and I are coming to you from the FBI Radio studio in so-called Redfern, which is on unceded Gadigal land. I want to take this moment to pay my respects to Gadigal elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any First Nations person listening right now. Gadigal people have been sharing stories and songs on this land since the beginning of time. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. When you first start making radio at FBI, you have to do a bunch of presenter training sessions before you go on air. And for me, one of those training sessions was led by Linda Mariano, my guest on the show today. But Linda's involvement with FBI goes back so much further than facilitating that training session. She was here before FBI was even a station. She was here pre-logo, pre-studios. She was here on the day of our first ever broadcast. She's one of FBI Radio's original heavy hitters. You might know Linda through her time presenting on Australia's National Youth Broadcaster or the band she was in, Teenagers in Tokyo, or her podcast, Tough Love, or the book she put out this past week, Love Language, which is a memoir about people-pleasing family and what it means to love and be loved. It's such a beautiful story that walks through Linda's life, which is exactly what we're going to do right here on Out of the Box, except here we'll also play the songs that have meant something special to Linda along the way. We've obviously got so much to get through, so let's jump into it. Linda Mariano, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, I feel like I'm in my old home right now. I'm like, (laughs) I sat where you're sitting for so long. Yeah, I know. And now you're on the other side. Thanks now I'm for on the other side. making way for me. Seriously, I'm in a seat that I remember an artist once walked out mid-interview when I was speaking to them. Okay, I'm really excited to dig into that. Hey, lots of juicy later. Gossip. <laughs> so obviously you're a radio presenter having, yeah. you know, spent time here at FBI. Do you remember a moment in your life where you maybe first started to pay attention to the radio? Yeah, I think it was during primary school. I remember when my mum used to pick me up from school and she would have the radio on like a commercial station and I remember hearing talkback for the first time, not like AM radio talkback, but, you know, like a Hamish and Andy style show of people doing a call out and and listeners being able to call up. And I remember we would get back to our home and I would run to the phone in my parents' bedroom to try and call the radio And I would do that every single day and I would have the radio station's number on speed dial on our home (laughs) phone so I could call and I started to become really obsessed and I got a little radio in my room and I would listen to it to go to sleep (laughs) at night and then I discovered stations like Triple J and I just never stopped listening. You're here joining me, having just released your book, Love Language. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. In the book, you talk about, you know, recording yourself as well or kind of imagining yourself on that side of the radio. It, It seems like that was pretty clear to you from the beginning that you wanted to be on the other side of it. Yeah, I think as a kid, we there's almost a rite of passage where you learn what it's like to record yourself and... As a normal little chatty kid, me and my brother would record ourselves into a little stereo and then 
like most kids, he grew out of it and I just never grew out of it. <laughs> and I, that, I remember that stereo in my room and just chattering away, doing as many different voices as I could into the speaker, stopping it, rewinding it, listening back, taping over it because I thought that it wasn't good enough. Doing mic breaks? Doing mic breaks. Like I don't know (laughs) how there was this innate thing in me to copy what I was listening to and Mm. then I would start to record songs off the radio and speak around them (laughs) and like interview myself like it was you know and then I'd get really embarrassed if anyone came into my room yeah. um, and I'd like really quickly kind of slam the, the button down you're that like I'd Linda what's your favorite ice cream well my favorite that was, ice cream that is- was it that was it I was like learning how to interview when we zoom out from you you know being in the room recording yourself in this way yeah. what's the setting where were you living we were I was with um, in a home with mum, dad and my older brother Sam who I write about in the book as well. We were living in a small villa in the suburbs of kind of south Sydney. Um, so it was a small house. I had my little bedroom with my be- my kind of lilac bedspread, speaker, little stereo in the corner, soft toys around still and then that was where I I remember I had the stereo kind of in a corner of my room. So my face would be facing into the corner of a, of a wall and like leaning down to talk into this speaker. Mm. Does that make good radio? Is there an acoustic reason for that? Look, maybe there was, like I said, there was some innate thing in me that said like, this is how you've got to do it. So I'd have my back to the door and I would be talking into this like speaker on a low shelf. And I remember if I heard the door open behind me, Mm. whether it was my, you know, it'd be, you know, my dad coming in and saying, Lindy, you've got to set the table for dinner. (laughs) And I would get so embarrassed that someone had walked in on me like, doing this weird little hobby that I had. And this was from when I was in primary school through like all through high school. Mm. Like I just didn't stop. Mm. (laughs) I love the way that you describe those things and you describe it with so much colour. You are an author, obviously. You've just (laughs) released your book. (laughs) And in the book you talk about being a people pleaser and throughout your life feeling the need to perform or, you know, put on a smile and make things great for other people who do you think you wrote the book for I think I wrote it for me and versions of me so anyone that doubts themselves maybe a little bit too much um that could lean into being a maybe a bit too much of a people pleaser someone that can relate to feeling the maybe pressures maybe not the right word but but a feeling of not wanting to disappoint the people around you and for me that stemmed very much from my parents and how I wanted to impress them and having kind of a strict upbringing and wanting to be a perfectionist in that way and feeling like if I wasn't achieving something that was really successful that I was going to let them down and then that just transferred into all the relationships in my life where I was like, well, I want to please this boyfriend because I don't want to let him down and I want to please my, you know, my friends or my co-workers and I don't want to let them down. So I think it's for, it's for you if you've ever felt that sense of self-compromised where you put yourself at the back of the queue. 
It's interesting the way that you talk about that because I feel like you're putting yourself at the back of the queue even in your personal relationships with friends and family. Yeah. Something that I learned about you throughout your book. And, you know, that unwillingness to open up or maybe share the things that are a little bit harder. I guess with that in mind, what does it feel like to share those harder things with the public in this in this way? What does it feel like to have this book out this week? That was something that I struggled with that I kind of had to set set out to not think about when I was writing the book and just go, Linda, the whole purpose of this is for you to kind of unlearn how much you focus on what the consequences are to other people all the time. Just write the shit out of this. Write the shit out of this scene, out of this chapter, out of this story, out of this plot. You do that justice and then you can rejig it after. If you're feeling like you're giving too much, if you're feeling like you're scared about what's going to happen. But also it's really important for me anyway to be really challenged and to be scared about certain things because I I cared so much. And at some point it was like a, a switch sort of flicked where I went, I think I'm okay with this. I'm doing this story, which is my story, Justice, I'm kind of interrogating myself and my behaviour and that's all that I can be really responsible for and to be kind of proud of that and and own it. There's a sense of like finally learning to trust yourself that happens. Mm. It's clear that there's so much heart in this book and, you know, so much thought behind it. And if you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend it. It's called Love Language by Linda Mariano out this past week. I'll put a link to it on the program's page on fbiradio.com. It does walk through the story of your life, which we are also doing today on Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5 all the way up until one. You know, we'll, we'll talk about stories Outside of you recording your voice as a little kid, we have so much to get through and we'll also talk about the songs that have soundtracked the big moments for you as well. The first one you've picked is by Madison Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're like talking about really deep things and then I'm like, and now let's play this hilarious song from 1999 that reminds me of going to school dances. listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB or streaming via our podcast or on the website fbiradio.com. My name is Mia Hull. I'm joined by another formidable radio presenter, Linda Mariano. <laughs> a former FBI host. <laughs> a former FBI host who's now joining us on the guest mic. But I do want to talk about your life as an FBI host. What did it look like when you first learnt about FBI as a station? Wow. Well, I mean, we were just having a boogie to some Madison Avenue, which is really indicative of like the crossover of listening to fun Australian dance pop music and kind of dancing through my high school days and doing lots of dance classes, but then also starting to really uh, dig into alternative music and, you know, get into those sort of new metal <laughs> roots like, and, and getting into punk sounds as well. 
and discovering stations like Triple J. And at the time, FBI wasn't even in existence. So I remember my, like, one of my best friends, Samantha, who's actually in the book, handing me when I finished high school uh, a flyer that she'd found that said, Sydney's going to have a new radio station. Text this number if you want to be a part of it. And she was like, don't you always record your voice? (laughs) You should call this number. And I called the mobile number and I was 18. I'd just finished high school and I was about to start a media degree at Sydney Uni. I called the number and it was a woman called Megan Loder, who was the original kind of boss here at FBI. Mm. And I essentially said, hi, I have nothing to do. I would love to just come and start learning how to do radio. And so... I tur- she let me turn up to the offices because there wasn't even an FBI studio built yet. She let me turn up to her office on a Friday afternoon and then she let me keep turning up every week and she started to tell me what it would be to be on radio and what it takes to put a station together. And I was just this bright-eyed kid that knew that I wanted to be in radio but had no idea how or when I would get there. I knew that I was doing a media degree. I knew that I just wanted to be around inspiring people. And then a few months later, the FBI studios were getting built and I remember being here when, like, this room was getting constructed. Did you oversee the construction of this room, Linda? I was the head construction officer. No, I wasn't. (laughs) I obviously didn't help with the construction, but I remember being here when we were putting all the stuff in and I even remember when the logo got designed Mm. and being so excited and then the that boss, Megan Loder, when it got to like almost launch day, she was like, I think I'm going to give you your own show. And so when it came to... What was that based on for her, you know? I have no idea. A hunch? Yeah. Maybe like because I, I was excited to be around radio and I knew eventually I wanted to be a presenter, but I didn't think I would get there mm. uh, until many years later. Mm. And the fact that I think she took a chance on me I think that sometimes you meet people in your life and if you're lucky enough to work with them, they have really good hunches and they kind of see the potential in um, investing in new people. And I think that's what she saw in me. She saw a girl that was excited, passionate and just ready to get in and start working and she gave me a chance and I'm forever grateful for that. So you were here when FBI first yep. broadcasted. Launch day. D- Launch day. Describe the energy in the room that day. What was that like? Oh, my God. I remember it was packed. Like the studio that we're in now, it was packed to the brim with people and people were spilling in and out from the street. They were going through all of where the office is. The, the kitchen was like half built there was just people around people were drinking people were excited because this was like a community radio station that it was like we were all there we all were going to all these gigs during the week we were all starting to dj we all had this shared passion and it was like we had nowhere to put that love Mm. and it was like we finally had this home and i remember standing literally less than a metre away from where I'm sitting right now. I remember standing right there next to those Mm -hmm. DJ decks and Megan Loder put a microphone in front of me and I just started talking. Mm -hmm. 
alongside like three other volunteers. Yeah. And I was so excited. Like it was so exciting. It's so fascinating to me to, you know, be here for the start of FBI and volunteer when, you know, we first started broadcasting because yeah. you kind of come from nothing in that way. Like you don't get the chance to talk on a microphone or, you know, do any of that kind of broadcasting experience before yeah. you're kicking off a new radio station. Did you kind of just have to learn on the fly? Definitely. And I think that is one of the benefits. I think that that was one of the benefits that I had like the advantage was that I was doing a media degree where I was learning about journalism and I was learning about radio broadcasting but in quite a dry sense I had my nose in books throughout Mm. the week at a university and then I got to come here and I got to actually learn how to do things and I remember when I first did started to do interviews with artists that was like wow this is how you get hands-on experience. You can learn to read the room. You can learn how you listen to someone, how you are curious, you ask questions. And sometimes artists are, are horrible to deal with, like how I like made a joke at the start of this interview <laughs> that I'm sitting in a chair that I remember an artist came in and actually didn't want to do any press that day and just like walked out halfway through the interview. It's, it, was, it was really... I think the best thing for my career was volunteering at this station. It made me lifelong friends with the Mm. people that were also similarly passionate in here Mm. and it cemented the craft of what I do and apply in every part of my career now. When you talk about this love for FBI, it's hard to imagine you ever leaving this station. Mm. Can you walk me through the choice to move to the next thing? Yeah, so when I was at FBI, I was here for a solid kind of three, three and a bit years, maybe like four years, because it was through my uni degree, which was four years. And when I eventually I was getting into this like beautiful rhythm of doing a couple of shows every week here at FBI, and it truly was my home. You know, all my best friends were here. We were all volunteering together. We were doing shows, some were producing. Those people are still my friends now, like... And then I remember getting a phone call from a manager that was at Triple J and he essentially asked me to come in for a meeting and truncating it, they essentially offered me a job on the spot that I was gobsmacked to get it, Mm. you know? Mm. I remember them, you know, saying, we've been listening to you. Uh, We know that your uni degree is finishing. I don't know how they knew that my uni degree was like coming to an end at the end of that year. Um, But do you want to come in and try out doing a mid-dawn? And then quite soon after that, I think we had a a meeting where they then said, would you like to take over and do the lunch show? We've got some kind of presenters moving around next year. And I remember coming back to FBI and, and crying because I was so you know, grateful to be offered that job and so shocked. But I, you know, I didn't feel worthy of it. And I also really felt such a loyalty to the people Mm. here. And it comes into play kind of within the book as well, where you you don't want to let the people down. I didn't want to let down like Megan Loder, like this beautiful woman that had invested in me as a teenager that knew nothing. Took a chance on you. Took a chance on me. And then, you know, as soon as I become some hotshot that takes – a gig Mm. 
And I just remember, and this is the perfect example of what it is to work at a place that's so passionate. It's like she looked back at me and she, she was like, this is what you're working towards. You, yeah. It's, you know, you, you want to you do this. It's, you get to do it full time now. You get a paid radio gig. Yeah, and you get it full time. Like, um, but it was, still, it was really hard to leave. It was really hard to leave. You're sitting here now. I don't think people ever fully leave FBI. Yeah, and, that's true. You know, everyone who has left <laughs> has kind of come back in some way or another because it is this place that, I don't know, it's magnetic and, mm. you know, it, it runs on passion. Passion makes this place move. And it's so nice for me to hear you talk about it yeah. all these years later in that way. In a couple of minutes' time, I want to dig more into your life within Triple J and what that looked like. But first, we're playing a song by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Yes. Why'd this make it into your track list today? This, it, so, there are so many iconic songs, I think, that were coming out in the early noughties when FBI started. And we, all the presenters would essentially get favourites. You know, you get all your records at the start of the week and you go, oh, my God, this is amazing, this is amazing, I want to play this and this. And when Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's Maps came out and I'm, like, thinking of the music video now, I'm thinking of the heartbreak that you can hear in Karano's voice, there was such a palpable energy to this song that I honestly... I wanted to hog it for my shows every week. I didn't want anyone else to play it across the day because I wanted to hog this record and play it when I was on the radio because it just meant that that much to all of us. It's such an emotional, like, epic track that builds and builds and just still sounds amazing today. And it's cut from... A 2003 record by the Yeah Yeahs. So 20 years on, you are still hogging this track, Linda. That's it. This is why I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm so excited to play it right now on Out of the Box on FBI. I'm Mia Hall. I'm joined by Linda Mariano, the chooser of this song. It's Maps. Oh, say, 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 oh, say, 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 wait. The yeah, yeah, yes on FBI Radio 94.5. The song was called Maps. It was chosen by Linda Mariano, my guest, on Out of the Box Day. And just before we played it, we talked about your reluctant choice <laughs> to leave FBI Radio mm. and, you know, take a job at Triple J, the national broadcaster. You've obviously got this passion for music. It kind of seeps through throughout this interview. And I love the way that you talk about songs what I learned from reading your new book, Love Language, is that mm. you make your own music as well. Tell me about your band. So when I was, yeah, starting at Triple J and starting at FBI as well, that simultaneously ran alongside being in a band with my best friends. So my like best girlfriends that we all went high school, uh, went through high school together. We started a band. We were heavily influenced by bands like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was block party time. It was, you know, and then we were going back and listening to kind of old records as well, like The Cure, etc. I picked up the bass guitar and I hadn't ever played guitar before, but we sort of knew we were going to gigs throughout the weeks. We were like 
gobbling up music as much as we could throughout the weeks. And we knew that it wasn't enough to go to gigs anymore, that we actually wanted to just make it. And so we sat down on Samantha. She ended up being the singer. We sat down on Samantha's lounge room floor one day and we were like, right, we're starting a band. Now let's assign some instruments. And we were like, (laughs) Sam, you're going to sing. Sophie, I reckon you could play guitar. Mishka, I feel like you could play keyboard. And I was like, you know what? I actually love bass lines. Maybe I'll try and learn bass. And so we so just... So we were all learning the instruments for the first time. We were all learning at the Whoa. same time. We were a train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like it kind of also is, is... It's beautiful to do something where you have no rules. You have mm. no... Um, you have no prior theory or knowledge. So you, you don't have this sense of judgment when you're playing stuff and going... Uh, that's not good enough. That doesn't sound good. You really need, before you do a verse and a chorus, you need to put a bridge in the middle. If we want to make it happy, it should be these chords. Like we had no rules. We had nothing. And there's a ferocity and an energy that comes from making art when you have no idea what you're doing. Mm. And it was just really fun. And then, you know, fast forward a few years, we, I was working at Triple J and I was working full time. And then again, you know, we we're talking about loyalty and being sad to kind of say, say no to something so you can say yes to something else. And, you know, it got to a point when I was having to say no to one, one thing because I was doing two things and I felt like I was kind of failing at both. So I was full time. When you talk about time. two things, one of them is the band. Yeah, so one was the band. So the band had got to a point where it's not a train wreck anymore, obviously. No. Oh, yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, skip sorry, I skipped the part. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, this is what happens. Well, I feel like because I think so many people start projects and stay in that space, right? Yes. It's like this yeah. is just fun. We're just it's making just crazy stuff and then, you know, a year goes by and it peters. But yes. that obviously wasn't the yeah, case for you. Yeah, sorry. Bad storyteller. No, no, Don't no. read the book. <laughs> That's why I've got an editor for. No. So eventually, I suppose we weren't so we were enjoyable train wrecks, mm. and we were starting to do gigs, and we were starting to just like release little music. We were putting out some EPs. We were making our own T-shirts. We we're like very punk, very into it. And then all of a sudden, our our kind of email would start to get flooded by not really so much people in Australia, but it was overseas. We started to get press and radio play overseas and particularly from the UK, from London. Had you been sending your music no. out? Oh, you got discovered. Yeah. Po- or not poached, sorry. Yeah, just kind of discovered. And I, re- I remember I'd be like at my mum's place and my phone would light up with a UK number because my phone number for whatever reason was on our MySpace page as the mm. contact number. <laughs> so I would be getting these phone calls. So my days were like, Working full-time at Triple J, I was doing the drive show at Mm. that time, finishing work, going to rehearsal at night with the band where Mm. we were slowly getting the hang of our instruments, going and playing gigs, putting out music, putting it online, and then having these phone calls with record labels that were in the UK. And eventually what came out of those kind of courtship phone calls was that we were offered a record deal and kind of management and all the kind of industry boring stuff that you you kind of dream about when you're Mm. in a band and and you want to make it work and so when we were offered here's some money 
come and live overseas, make an album. We want to invest in you. We want you to tour. It was like, this is incredible. This Mm. is what we've been working towards. But in order for that to work, I can't have a full-time job. Um, Can I ask? Yeah. Was there a part of you that, you know, ever felt maybe imposter syndrome, having just learnt your instrument for the purpose of being in this band and now you're being asked to move to a different country for it I've definitely got imposter syndrome I have it right now um (laughs) but back then I think there was because I was in it with my best friends yeah we were in it together and we could hype each other up and we were going this is amazing I think we need to do this Mm. but because I had grown up still with this feeling of like I've always been very self-critical. Yeah. There was there was something in me that was still scared to take the risk because what if it doesn't pan out? Mm. What if it doesn't pan out and it doesn't work? And that was why it was quite hard to trust it and to say yes to an opportunity like that, to moving overseas or taking a risk and saying no to a job here that was really reputable, really secure, really and safe. Something that you had dreamed of for and so long And something that well. I, yeah, it wasn't a job that I didn't like. It wasn't like, oh, great, I get to quit my boring job that I hate my boss so that mm-hmm. I can go and be a rock star in this band. It was like, no, I actually... I also really, really, really love radio and presenting, but something's got to give. Mm. I can't. You literally can't please them all. Yeah. So, so what yeah. was it like for you when the band won that tug of war? Then how do you navigate that? I, I think I felt quite resolved that I was making the right decision, um, because I, I really cared about investing in what me and my best friends had, like the bond between friendship when you when you love each other and when you work together is like nothing can penetrate that Mm. and so at least at the heart of it I was like I need to do this with me and my best friends so I'm going to have to compromise my relationship with my work um, and I'm gonna have to say no to it and then I remember when I went in and you know had to quit Triple J that that time that was so hard it was really hard I felt really guilty it was unpleasant. Like you kind of have to say goodbye to something not knowing if you're ever going to get that back again. I thought if I quit my presenting job now, this thing that I've literally been doing since I was a child, I might not ever be able to be on radio again. Am I saying goodbye to something that's actually really good for me? It's Mm. really hard to wrestle with that. Totally. And I also think that it's rare that you come to those kind of crossroads in your life Mm. as well. Like if you have any at all, sometimes people kind of just move through life and one thing leads to the other and you rarely have to make these big calls. And these are two big passions, the music one. And we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes time. First, did you want to play a song from your band? It's called, you know, just in Tokyo, by the way. Oh, my God. Well, if you read the book, you'll go into great detail about uh, the, the band and, like, the sort of people-pleasing motions that then ended up, like, coming into play within that and moving to London and the wild antics. But, um, no, I was actually thinking that what we can go into is a, um, a band that heavily influenced us that were not current at all but that really influenced me as a bass 
bass player and that I know that I would have been listening to just constantly and I would always feel coolest if I pictured that I was in this particular band when I was on stage that I tried to emulate them (laughs) even though I look nothing like any of the members of The Cure. So (laughs) this is it. It is just like heaven. You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Mia Hull. I'm joined by Linda Mariano, who chose that song. It was The Cure and Just Like Heaven. And I like to imagine you playing it to mark your journey moving to London. You're on the plane looking out. Yeah. Tears rolling down your cheeks. Tears rolling down. <laughs> I'm like, goodbye, Australia. Here I come, goth, edgy London. <laughs> Moving closer to the cure as well. Tell me what your life looked like when you got there. To London? Mm. It was, I mean, we were in, the five of us in the band were in a house in London. We each had a little bedroom. We were going out a lot because our beautiful like record label and our manager were just shipping us into every industry party gig that we would go to we started DJing more we started rehearsing so the day times were like getting on the tube rugged up in cold weather friendly clothes and being crammed inside tiny little rehearsal rooms with all of our equipment. And I just remember these rehearsal rooms would be so small. They'd be like the size of a small child's bedroom. But, Mm. you know, we were a band and, yes, they had brought us over there and they were giving us a little wage and, oh, my God, that was so exciting. But, you know, we were still living very cheaply. So we would hire these rehearsal spaces and we'd be kind of piled on top of each other with our equipment and I'd be holding my heavy bass guitar and we'd be trying to write an album all day and then we'd – pack up and then we'd go out that night and we'd go to some you know album launch party and just I remember being in East London and seeing the scene Mm -hmm. the scene there where all these amazing kind of English bands had come from at the time I was going oh my god this is where like like Claxons are from here and like oh my god is that Kieran Knightley walking down the street you know it was just this whole other world that felt so big mm. compared to the suburbs that we come from <laughs> it was so exciting I don't know if this is like wildly offensive to say but I'm kind hey, of like give it to me <laughs> I'm imagining like everything I know about love and yes, like those girls like all lit- living together and that, going out <laughs> you know I watched I read that book yeah incredible but <laughs> Watching that TV show, the fashion, the bad fedora hats, the <laughs> layered like denim skirt, ripped jean with like a faux fur hoodie thing over the top. It was exactly that, that kind of late noughties, 
hilarious. <laughs> like, you know, it was it was, it was was the Amy Winehouse time. Yeah. You know, and yeah. we'd be going through Camden and they'd be like, oh, Amy's, you know, doing a gig over on that street. And it was it was it was an exciting time for yeah. for for music. I mean, it's always an exciting time for music, but for for in my life, that was exciting because I was I was making it and we were in rehearsal studios piled on top of each other, but there was like a thousand other bands that were also in the space. Mm. It was crazy. But also an exciting time for your friendships as well. How special to have known these girls most of your life and then to go on this journey with them and live with them and like make art with them and party with them. I want to talk about another close relationship that's kind of happening concurrently, and that's the one with your longtime boyfriend at the time. Yeah. Was he still in Australia when you moved to London? Yeah, he was. He was. So I was in this long-distance relationship, um, and I think he was able to come to London a couple of times, and then, you know, eventually we I did the band, we did – tours and like you said I was so close in those female friendships that you know towards the end of our album tour where we'd made an album we were touring it we were going all through Europe together and it was this really kind of close-knit amazing friendship but touring is hard touring is really like traveling constantly is really hard and I remember like my best friend Mishka who's keyboards in the band was like I'm so sorry, but I just, touring is not for me. I don't think I'm going to be able to do this anymore. And we had this big discussion and we were like, okay, well then maybe at the end of this, the band kind of breaks up for now. We go on a break. And then it was during that break where I, funnily enough, got another, you know, started talking to Triple J again. And they were like, we've got a position back in Australia if you want to move back. And at that point, I was in a long distance relationship with someone that was still back in Sydney. I then had this great off this job offer again that, as we've just talked about, I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to do radio mm. again. So I was like, okay, it feels like the universe is pulling me back to that other career that I left behind. Mm. And as much as I love touring and and I love being in this band, there's a there's a there's a heartbreak here in in some again something's got to give yeah. and I think I need to go back to Australia for right or wrong mm. I remember thinking well this is what I should do was that the right decision like I'll never like we'll never know but I remember thinking I'm being pulled back to Australia now and so when you came back to Triple J what did your radio life look like then Oh, that was just so fun. Like I got I got to come back and do uh, the show that I, I think that I always wanted to do, which was that I was doing Good Nights. It was like we started Good Nights, came up with the name. I went on air. We did – it was the evening show and it became the, you know, flagship new releases program. So it was all the things that I loved about radio – wrapped up in the fact that I was also a total night owl because I was in a band and I was DJing a lot. Like I loved being on air at night. There was so there's such a kind of magical energy to everyone has left the office. I get to turn the lights down and I just get to play new music. The audience at nighttime just always they just felt like my people. Like <laughs> the people that I could get as callers, the artists that I got to interview, my producer, like that was there at night with me. It was such a 
fun, vibrant time. I was like thriving in that. Incredible. And yeah, you're, you know, on the new releases program on Triple yeah. J. Let's go to a new release from 2017. It's EXO Tour. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, so for some reason, like when I think about like what was going on in those years and I was doing like um, – I was doing the evening show for several years and then I was diving into the morning show before I ended up leaving Triple J again. But towards the end of my evenings, like radio stint, I remember Lil Uzi Vert coming out with EXO Tour Life in 2017. And I just remember thinking, this is such a hit. And I remember (laughs) turning the lights down in the studio and playing this song so goddamn loud. And again, this was like a song that I just wanted to hog every radio shift that I did. I love it. It's Lil Uzi Vert and EXO Tour Life, chosen by Linda Mariano on Out of the Box. That was EXO Tour Life on FBI Radio 94.5, chosen by my guest on Out of the Box, Linda Mariano. Linda has just released her book, Love Language, which hits shelves this past week. Uh, Again, the link to it is in the programs page on fbiradio.com. Linda, you also tell stories via your podcast, Tough Love. Mm. For people who don't know about Tough Love, could you maybe give me a bit of a synopsis? Oh, okay. So we've got the second season coming out in a few weeks, but the first season of Tough Love came out um, in 2021 and it chronicles uh, essentially an audio documentary of what happened when I, like so many of us, found ourselves stuck when the pandemic hit. And for me, I was stuck in a lot of ways. I was stuck in Australia when I had moved to Los Angeles to be with my partner, but I came back to Australia and got stranded. (laughs) Were you just on holiday when the pandemic hit? I was, I had moved everything to LA. And so I'd moved all of my clothes, my belongings. And then I came back to Sydney as like, I'm going to see my family for two weeks and I'm just going to get the, my visa stamped in my passport. And then I'll just Mm. go back because I'd been in a long distance relationship for many years. Mm. Um, And then I got stuck in Australia at my dad's house in my child bedroom. So, oh, my voice just cracked. (laughs) So the podcast in a nutshell is me grappling with the relationships in my life. Um, And it's about the relationship that I had going on long distance between me and my partner Magnus in LA and how to navigate that in a time that feels truly hopeless and uncertain through the pandemic and my relationship to my parents, Mm. my Italian dad, my Chinese mum, how their cultures combine, how our kind of what the frictions are between us and also my relationship to myself it's kind of it's sort of stems into what the book goes really 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 deep into but it's in a kind of delightful three-dimensional 
audio form. And the second season, the continuation of the story, which I've been told was very stressful but very entertaining for most people, um, the new season will be out June 20. <laughs> and I'll put a link to that on the programs page. Yeah, get ready. As Entertainment, well. <laughs> tension, drama and more. <laughs> And, you know, this podcast, again, hinges on a lot of loves. One of them is your love with Magnus. I guess that's been a successful long-distance relationship. And before we played that song, Exo Tour Life, you talked about another long-distance relationship when you moved to London. I don't want to, like, ask you to compare, like, your last boyfriend and Magnus, but I guess I want to know why this one stuck or why you think this relationship was more successful. I think, well, when I was in the one between London and Sydney, I came back to Australia and we we remained together for for a number of years before we ended up breaking up. So in that sense, it was a successful long-distance relationship as well. But it's really difficult to live on a day-to-day basis if you miss someone, right? Mm. You feel a loss and... I feel like you can only go on feeling that loss if you feel like it's worth it. So when Magnus and I have been long distance, it has always been a sense of the two sides of the coin. I feel the sorrow, but I feel the love. And the love side is just a little bit stronger than what the sorrow is going to be. And being separated for a year and a half through COVID, which was what ended up happening, was like, definitely tipping the scales into long distance is really really hard Mm. but the fact that I miss you and we're still compatible at a communication level is like well this I mean that makes it sound so scientific and clinical but Mm. it's it's like it's still worth it yeah it's still worth the investment it's like the sorrow never outweighed it never it never outweighed it you know you find we never know um, what we can deal with until we're faced with it. And like I've heard so many people say, I would never do long distance. I would never do it. And I'm like, you actually don't know until you meet someone that will m- maybe make you push your boundaries. And and maybe you stick to your guns and say, I'm never going to do long distance. Mm. So Mia, we're done, you know. But, <laughs> but it, there, there are some times where you go, I'm going to do this until it makes me unhappy and kind of never made us unhappy um time will tell yeah <laughs> it sounds like maybe we did just spoil season two of tough love maybe but... <laughs> we did a little spoiler. but i guess you'll just have to listen when it yeah. comes out on june 20 yeah um in the meantime you can you know dig into linda's book love language and i don't know it's so special to me to see you being so candid here with me now because i know that that's something that you kind of like learnt through the book as well and yeah since 12 o'clock today we've talked through the story of your life very briefly so again that book love language will give you a more in-depth look at yeah. the life of linda mariano you won't get the songs though so you that's get the, the minus <laughs> uh, it's fine you you know how to look stuff up <laughs> with that let's end with the song linda what have you chosen oh my god i you know when you talk to someone about like what song they want to play as their last little song i don't i feel like I feel like when we talk about love, I have found myself thinking about a singer that, 
you know, has been a prominent love in my life since my teen years. And, you know, I mentioned this band earlier. They're coming around again, Deftones. And I feel like maybe they just don't get enough airplay here. So (laughs) this was a band that, again, cemented my love of music when I was, like, growing up and I would just rip through Deftones records. I was watching Rage every week. I was looking at the singer Chino Marino. I was going, he's a half Chinese too. He's my boyfriend. He's, I love him. And I also was obsessed with the bass lines, which again made me want to be a bass player and like thrive in music. So let's whack on a song that is timeless, iconic, (laughs) like just blast it wherever you are. It's called My Own Summer shove it. We'll jump into that on Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5, chosen by my guest, Linda Mariano. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. (laughs) If you did want to listen back to this episode, you can do that on the programs page on fbiradio.com, where I'll also have a full list of songs that Linda brought to the show and some links to the things we've spoken about, including her book, Love Language, and the forthcoming season of Tough Love out June 20. Uh, you can also listen back by the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I want to give a big shout out to Tanya Ali who helped me produce this episode. Woo, woo, yo, Tanya! <laughs> She's in the studio right next to us while we're recording this. <laughs> and do stay tuned. Lunch is right around the corner. FBI. FBI.